Ephesians chapter 6, and our text is there found in verse 5 through verse 8. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Amen. Well, from the duties of wives and husbands, and then considering the duties of children and parents, we move with the Apostle Paul to a third area where the gospel is to impact our relationships. And it is that area of masters and servants. Now, when Paul is writing here in the first century, this was principally a domestic relationship in the household. And that's why it's found with husbands and wives and children and parents. And through much of history, and indeed today in some parts of the world, uh, these truths would still apply to certain domestic relationships. And you can think of biblical times, there was the relationship of slave or indentured servant to their masters, or there was also the relationship of a free servant who also served in the household or home industry. In our culture, we don't see these relationships anymore, but these verses do affect the relationship between employer and employee. And so they do have relevance for us today. And so we want to consider then the obedience of servants. Servants, obey your masters. Consider, first of all, that we have masters according to the flesh. We have masters according to the flesh. Verse 5, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. The word servant here in this verse is the Greek word doulos, which also means slave. And the word master in the text is the Greek word kurios, which means Lord. But in verse 5, Paul qualifies these masters as masters according to the flesh. And they are to be distinguished from another master that we have, the supreme master, even our Lord who is in heaven. But yet Paul speaks of him also. If you look there in verse 7, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. The word Lord there is the same as master in verse 5. It's the word kurios. And then when we come to verse 9, that God willing, we will consider next week, and ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master is in heaven. It's the same word again. You lords, do the same things unto them, namely your servants, forbearing threatening, knowing that your Lord is in heaven. Neither is the respect of persons with him. So we have a supreme master who is in heaven, yet we also have masters that are according to the flesh. 
Now, to deal with this passage in its immediate context, we have to recognize that the domestic relationship of slave and servant existed in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And that's a very uncomfortable truth for many today. Indeed, many modern commentaries, when they come to this passage, they spend a whole lot of time at the beginning uh, telling us about slavery and why slavery is wrong. And their exegesis is not very good. And then they move on to tell us something about how we are to behave and work. But we have to deal with the text honestly before God in its context. Paul is speaking to slaves. He's speaking to slaves. When we look at the scripture, while the Bible does not positively command slavery, it exists throughout the Bible and it does not explicitly condemn it as always sinful. In fact, what it does in the main is it regulates this relationship between master and servant. And so in the Old Testament, there were laws that regulated the kind of slavery that could be practiced. Man stealing was a sin that brought the person under uh, the sentence of death. But you could have indentured uh, servitude for a time or you could have permanent bondage. And then there were release laws with an option to the person who came under release that he might stay. And so, you know, the year of release has come. Do you want to go? No, I love my master. I, I will not go out free. And he's taken to the door and his ear is bored and he becomes a permanent servant or slave in the household. And then there are laws about who could be a permanent slave. Israel were not to enslave their fellow Israelites, but in war, they were permitted to take foreign slaves more permanently. Well, that's the Old Testament. Then we move into the New Testament and we see that it exists again. The passage we'll look at this afternoon, Luke chapter 7, the centurion has a slave. Then we have the book of Philemon, where a godly man has a slave and the slave has run away and Paul sends the slave back and prays to or asks his master that he would receive him, not only as a slave, but also as a brother. And then we have the verses right before us today. And Paul is speaking to this relationship. Oh, you say, well, maybe he's speaking to servants more generally. Well, he is. But he's speaking to more than that. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall be he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. He's speaking to those who are in bondage and he's telling them how they are to behave. But something more here, this relation is also taken up throughout the Bible to teach and illustrate the gospel to us. The Bible teaches us that we were the slaves of sin in bondage to the devil like Israel were enslaved in Egypt. But God in his mercy by his son redeems us out of that slavery. But then he reestablishes another. We become the bond slaves now of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we are liberated from the bondage to sin 
And then we have the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ placed upon him so that we serve now under a great and a good master. And you think how many times Paul takes this word and he applies it to himself. Romans chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, the bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He rejoiced in his new enslavement to his master who is in heaven. Indeed, he speaks of this in verse 9, that your master, your Lord is also in heaven. Well, here we are in Ephesians chapter 6. And what is Paul doing? You know by now, he is applying the gospel. He's saying, you are to walk worthy of this gospel, this emancipation from sin, this redemption from slavery to the devil, but a new enslavement to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he tell us as part of that worthy walk? As we serve him, we are to recognize that we have masters according to the flesh. Whether in the past, in this kind of servitude in the household, or whether in the present, a servitude in the workplace where there are structures of ownership and authority and leadership. You have masters according to the flesh. Secondly, we are to obey these masters. We are to obey these masters. The pattern is the same. For the previous relations that we looked at, wives are to obey their husbands. Children are to obey their parents. Servants are to obey their masters. One is in the position of superiority. Like a superior officer in the army. Another is in the position of inferiority in this civil relationship. And Paul says, servants be obedient unto them. And so as we said in the previous two cases, this begins with, with actually recognizing the lawfulness of this position. So you should take it and think about it very carefully when you were in work. The lawfulness of this position. You even use this language frequently. And you might not stop to think about what you're saying. But do you not speak in the workplace of the person who is your boss? What are you saying? You are saying, he is my master according to the flesh. That's in line with what Paul is teaching us here. It begins by recognizing the order, the, the lawful order that God has placed in civil society. Then we are to obey them in all things that are lawful. What they require of us in this relationship. We're not to reject their authority. We're not to excuse our disobedience on the basis of our evaluation of their personality or because we think that we are more competent than them. That's not our concern in that relationship. We need to be well aware that in sin, we do not like being under authority here. 
so that as much as the wife will struggle to submit to her husband, and as much as children struggle to come under obedience to their parents, you're going to struggle in this relation as well. But God governs it. God governs it. Pride will naturally rebel and desire to bring those who are over you down so that you can, in a sense, lord it over them. But to help you here, I want to consider Christ with you. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, where the language is all presented in terms of what we're considering in Ephesians chapter 6. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now here's our Lord Jesus Christ, who as eternal son has no inequality with the father. There is no uh, relation of superior, inferior in the eternal trinity. But for our redemption, the son becomes a servant. He is the servant of the Lord. And as the servant, he becomes obedient to this Lord, even unto the death of the cross. That's the gospel. What's Paul doing in Ephesians 6? He's applying the gospel. And he's saying, you have lords according to the flesh. You are servants in relation to things in the flesh. And you have a master in heaven who humbled himself to be the servant of God, more than that, to minister and serve you. To redeem you from the bondage of your sin. Now, go and serve with the same humility of Christ. Go and serve with the same humility as Christ. Go to this work armed with the mind of the Redeemer, not the pride of the devil. And servants, be obedient unto your masters according to the flesh. Thirdly, how are we to obey these masters? Well, in verse 5 and following, Paul tells us, it is interesting that you have more detail here than any of these other relationships. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Parents, provoke not your children to wrath. But when it comes to servants, he goes at length to describe how we are to be obedient to our masters. We've got a number of key things. First of all, in fear and trembling. 
in fear and trembling. Verse 5. This is speaking again of reverence. Just as the child is to reverence the parent, the servant is to reverence the master. It involves recognition, as we said, of the God-appointed authority structure and then submitting to it with humility and respect. Or another way to describe it is really honor, like the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. And so Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, and he says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. He doesn't say throw off the yoke, doesn't say rebel. He says, count your masters worthy of all honor. The opposite of this, of course, is the proud rejection of authority, whereby we say we will not have this man, this person to rule over us. It's the attitude of despising authority, which again, Paul particularly warns of in 1 Timothy chapter 6, because there in verse 2, he says, and they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. He's actually saying here, if you're in this relationship and, and your master is a Christian brother, even then don't rebel. Don't say, well, he's a Christian and, and we're equal. We're equal. Well, you are before the Lord in terms of forgiveness and everything else you have, but this Christian liberty does not destroy this social order, and this place of servitude. And so he warns them, honor your masters, don't despise them. You're to do it with fear and trembling, that is, with reverence, with honor. Secondly, you're to do it with sincerity, with sincerity. Verse 5, in singleness of your heart. It's a Greek word that means sincere or generous. It's the same word that Paul uses writing to the Corinthians where he tells them the Lord loves a cheerful giver, a sincere, a liberal, a generous giver. So it should be with our service to those that are over us in the Lord. It's not going to be a fake hypocritical thing whereby we smile and pretend something different than that which is within our hearts. Paul deals with that in Colossians 3 in, in the parallel passage to this, and he says, you are to obey them heartily as unto the Lord. It's not going to be fake and hypocritical. You can think of Joseph in the Old Testament as a good example of this. And there he is in Potiphar's house, and he finds himself in slavery. But, but what does he do? He gives himself with sincerity and cheerfulness to service in that context. He does so with what Paul will go on to describe here in verse 7 as with goodwill. 
desiring to please Potiphar, desiring that everything that he does will be designed so that the household in which he is a servant will prosper. Even when he rejects Potiphar's wife, what's he doing? He's seeking to honor and please Potiphar. He's seeking that the house is not destroyed. We're to do it with sincerity. Thirdly, we're not to do it with eye service to men. Verse 6, not with eye service as men pleasers. Now, of course, we are to do it with one eye upon men. We have a desire to please and honor our earthly masters. But this is taking us further. We're not to do it with eye service as men pleasers. It would include, of course, obeying in their presence when we are under their eye. But because you as a Christian have a conscience of serving with an eye on something greater, then you are going to be careful in your duties as much as when your master is absent as when he is present. This is actually a very liberating truth that we are not to serve with eye service as men pleasers. Why is it liberating? Because it enables you to serve good and bad masters. Then we read this in 1 Peter chapter 2. It's amazing how many places the Bible actually addresses this relationship. 1 Peter chapter 2 where you have an extended portion dealing with what we could call the fifth commandment, beginning in verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Well, how do you do that? You do it by looking beyond your master. One eye on him, another eye, the main eye on something else. And that brings us to the fourth thing Paul says here. From the heart unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That's where the eye of the Christian is. It is on the great master in heaven. So that you ultimately are the servant of Christ in all of your service to man. It's transforming. We'll look at practical application later, but this is really important. You are the servant of Christ in all of your service to man. And your master in heaven sees you at all times. And he sees what we do outwardly, but of course he sees what's going on in the heart. And there's the Christian. And he's looking to the Lord and he says, I'm going to serve this man in this context because I have a master who is in heaven that I seek to please. Brethren, that puts honor on the humblest employment. 
sometimes we moan about our work. It's, it's not maybe what we desire to have. But this puts honor on the humblest employment, and it ought to make you faithful to serve without needing to be constrained and compelled by your masters. It should actually distinguish Christian employees from all others. You should stand out in the workplace because your heart is gripped by this principle. Stories told of an old Scots lady. And she was a servant. And the Lord dealt with her and she believed that she was converted. And she went to the minister and she was explaining what she believed the Lord had done in her heart. And the minister asked her, what are your evidences? What are your evidences that make you believe the Lord has changed you? And the old servant said, I now sweep under the mat. You think that's not much of an evidence. Oh, it is. I now sweep under the mat. Why? Because I am the servant of a greater master and he sees and I count my service here as service done to him. Do you have evidences like that in your life? We should have. Remember years ago hearing a minister talk about how his mother made him do chores in the household. And so he would go around and dust the room and the baseboards and things. And his mother would come in and say, no, no, you need to get the cloth, you need to put it on your finger, and you need to get right into the corner. Because God sees the corners too, son. It's the same principle. Everything we're doing, we're doing it as the servant of the Lord. Therefore, we do it from the heart unto Christ. Fourth, we have the reward of, for obeying these masters. We have the reward. Verse 7, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. There's a reward. First of all, there is a reward of earthly masters. You see this in the Bible. The portion we'll look at later, the centurion has a servant and he loves his servant. And when his servant is sick, he goes to Christ on the behalf of his servant. There's a relationship of respect and honor and care between them both. There's a reward of being a faithful servant. You see it. Then there's a principle of diligent service being rewarded. And you can study that in the life of Joseph. Everywhere he goes, it doesn't matter if providence throws another curveball at him. Everywhere he goes, he's diligent. He labors as unto the Lord. And what happens? He prospers. He's in a pit. He goes to the house of Potiphar. He prospers. Potiphar's wife tells lies about him. He goes to the prison. He prospers. 
He gains favor with Potiphar. He gains favor with the prison guard. Why? Because his earthly masters are recognizing something in him that is worthy of that reward. Well, you take that to your employment. A diligent worker not only gets the reward of his wages, he gets more. He gets recognition by his employer and is very often marked out as one who is worth something more to the company. And so his diligence is often rewarded by a salary increase or sometimes by way of promotion. But the opposite is also true. You have the person who will not work or will not be told by his bosses what they are to do, what he is to do. And he is unproductive. He gives no honor to his superiors. And the only place that he is going quickly is toward the sack. And then no doubt he'll sit down and complain and say it's everyone else's fault. But there's a reward of earthly masters. But then Christ himself will certainly reward. The same shall he receive of the Lord. You see, the Lord has respect to all of the service that we are seeking to do unto him. And he promises that he will not let any of it go unrecognized by him. Though you may never be promoted in this life. Though according to verse 8 here, the person may remain a bond slave. Our Lord Jesus Christ is going to reward every one of his servants with the inheritance of the sons of God. He will say to us, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And there will be reverses like the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus is the beggar at the gate. The rich man has everything. There will be reverses between slaves and masters, servants and lords. Paul and Peter drive this point home. Listen to Colossians 3.23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve Christ. There is a reward. Well then, fifthly, your obedience to your masters. I want to leave five areas that I hope will be practical to your own lives in relation to this command. And the first is honor your earthly masters. Honor your earthly masters. This is required of all servants to all masters, even bad masters. And we live in a society where honor has gone. And it's no surprise, is it, that we find honor has gone here. I talk to my children about this before they step out into the workplace. When you go out into the workplace, this is what you're going to hear. 
you're going to hear a bunch of people moaning, complaining, and bad-mouthing everyone else they work with, particularly their bosses. Whatever you do, do not get involved. Do not get involved. If they come back in and I hear little signs of it, I say you need to stop that immediately. Why? Because of what God says. Because of what God says. This boss is this. No one likes it. They do it differently than the last boss. It must be wrong. What does God say? Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. When you go out into your workplace, you're not in slavery, are you? You're not. Paul's actually talking to slaves, or Peter in there. He's talking to slaves. Forward masters over you. And we have a problem going to the workplace and dealing with the odd awkward person in the workplace without falling into a heap of sin ourselves. Honor them in your thoughts. Get your mind in line with God's word. Be convinced of the order that he has appointed, that some people are over others. And then go and honor them in your speech to them and your actions to them. And in your speech of them. You're not to be servants merely with eye service as men pleasers. This is a principle that is motivated by your servitude to Christ. Honor your earthly masters. Secondly, obey your earthly masters. Do what they tell you to do. It's amazing how hard this is for people. Listen to Christians. They talk about their work. And the boss never knows what he's talking about. But of course I do. I always know what I'm talking about. The boss never does. So if the boss tells me to do something, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I know better than the boss. And then I don't do the thing that the boss tells me to do. And the boss is obviously annoyed with me. And then I get annoyed because the boss hasn't seen my ideas better than his. And when I get reprimanded, it's his fault. Do you know what this tells you, this portion of scripture? Know your place. Know your place. Even if you do have better ideas, which you might, make them known in a godly way through the proper channels. But if they are rejected, then do what the person over you tells you to do. And if it's wrong, someone will ask him the question. But none of this, none of this warrants us to con uh, continually reject and rebel against the one who is over us. Again, the Bible is clear. Listen to Paul, to Titus chapter 2, verse 9. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. It's clear. Obey them when they're present. Obey them when they're absent. Your heart posture is to be that of the servant in Psalm 123. Psalm 123. 
Unto thee I lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Suppose the Lord was to take our sinful obedience to our masters as the illustration here. What would it look like? What would our service to the Lord look like? It would look terrible, wouldn't it? But the idea is that the servant is attending upon the master, waiting for the master to tell the servant what to do so that the servant might speedily do that which is commanded. Would you take that with the heart looking unto Christ into this relationship in which you stand as a believer? And you'll come with the attitude, what would you have me to do? And then you'll go do it. And when you're finished, you'll go and ask again, is there anything else for me to do? Your whole disposition is transformed. So that you do it all, you do it well, and you want to do more. That's how the gospel changes someone's heart. You obey your earthly masters. Thirdly, stop grumbling in your employment. Stop grumbling in your employment. I'm not saying don't have any ambition. I'm not saying it's never hard. I'm not saying that perhaps you need to change work. And if you do, you would be very wise in your choice of who you will have as your master. That's one liberty that you have, uh, that a slave did not have. Be very wise in your choice of who will be your master. But at the same time, brethren, do you not see that it is totally unbecoming of a Christian to be an employment murmurer or a whiner in the workplace? None of these texts that we've looked at permit that. You as a believer should actually be worn down. See, when you go into work and everybody else is whining and murmuring, that, that should be oppressive to you. You should want to scream. The last thing that you should desire is to go with that flow. Leave it to the ungodly. Paul does go so far in the New Testament as to tell slaves to be content to remain in their lot. First Timothy 6 and 2, we looked at, he heads off a potential complaint. Ah, but my master is a Christian. Why will he maintain this relationship of master over servant? But forgiveness by God and true Christian liberty does not, as we say, destroy social order. Well, you may need a new job. You may. But if you're a person given to employment murmuring, it will not likely change unless you change. You, you may have seen this in your life. I certainly have seen it pastorally. You deal with Christians and the problem is always the job. 
And so you're sympathetic. The problem is a job's really bad situation at work. We pray, yep, get them a new job. They get a new job. Everything's good for about two weeks and then they're as miserable as ever. And so they need a new job. And the new job is going to be the answer. Uh, and the same thing happens on repeat. I I've dealt with people like that. What's the problem? Very soon you start to realize the problem's not the job. The problem's the person. You need to be careful here because it can be a terrible witness if we join in with this grumbling and complaining attitude that is everywhere pervading the workplace. Be diligent in your employment, fourthly, because the Bible promises us certain things about the diligent. The first is that the diligent shall be made fat. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24, you'll see another notable statement concerning this. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 24. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. We mentioned earlier, honor is gone from our society. And to an increasing extent, diligence is likely gone, or is also gone. But here is another opportunity for a Christian person to actually stand out. Stand out from the crowd. It actually shouldn't be hard for you. So you young people growing up, you're stepping out into a broken culture. And if you get these principles rooted in your heart and a biblical sense of honor and work ethic, you will walk out and stand out against many of your contemporaries. You have a wonderful opportunity to actually do that. The person who is a slothful servant, on the other hand, what happens? His master is frustrated with him. We used to have this in our household. Children would say, what's wrong with mom? She's got smoke in her eyes. Why? Because she's told you to do all these things and she expected you to have them done and she's gone and there it is undone. Smoke in her eyes, vinegar in her teeth. That's what the proverb says. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the slugger to them that sent him. And how many masters have smoke in their eyes and vinegar in their teeth because of the slothfulness of those who work under them? But here's the Christian, and he serves a greater master, and his eyes upon the Lord in heaven. So the question is, is Christ not worthy of your service? You say, well, of course he is. Then will you be diligent in the presence of an earthly master in this employment relationship, whether he is present or whether he is absent? The Lord would even send you to the ant and say, study him. See how he works all of the day. And one thing about him is he doesn't even have a governor. 
He just has a spirit of diligence and he gets on with his industry. So in our text this morning, two things are really coming together. We've got the fourth commandment, which commands that we labor for six days and do all of our work. And we've the fifth commandment, which tells us that oftentimes that work is going to function under the government of masters. If you are not laboring six days diligently in employment, you are in rebellion against God. And you can throw up all the excuses that you want. But this is the reality. You don't get up out of your bed. You don't go to work. You don't manifest industry. You don't earn your bread so that, that, that you, you're entitled to eat. You are in rebellion against God. And then so much of that work is going to be done in these social structures. And so having the job and going to the job, you can still be in rebellion against God if you're not respecting the manner in which he calls you to perform this work. So go and get at it and tell all of your excuses to be quiet. This is what the Lord requires of you. Finally, the reward will come. The reward will come. First of all, there is a reward in, in this life. We've kind of inferred it when we were considering about diligence. But promotion and advance is not going to come to you by sloth, laziness, complaining, rebelling, or usurping the lawful place of your bosses. Our masters. That is not how it's going to come. How will it come? It will come via diligent labor and obedience unto them. But again, many people don't want this, do they? I was talking to one of our brothers here who hires people for work, and he confirmed everything we know. All these kids come in, they want to start at the top. They say, well, here's where you start. You learn, you move up. I don't want to do that. I'm better than that. Why? What, give, what, what, what rational reason do you think, having no skills, no experience whatsoever, how do you come to the conclusion that you can start here? That's what we face. They want to walk in at the top. They don't want to start at the bottom. They don't want to work up because society has lied to them and now life has to teach them a difficult lesson. Promotion and advance comes from diligent application to the task and prayer unto the Lord. So think of the book of Proverbs. Sloth brings hunger, subjugation, and death. You choose sloth, you're saying this is what I want. What does diligence bring? It makes you fat. It puts you in a place of rule and it tends to life. And this is what Jesus teaches as well, isn't it? Jesus says, well done, you have been faithful over a few things. Now you will be ruler over all. He's saying, good, you started at the bottom, you did well. 
Now here's more. Here's the reward of recognizing your position, coming under the authority and working diligently for your master. There's a reward in this life, but then there is a, a reward in the end. We labor with an eye to the Redeemer. And it's right that this motivates us. Because you may have bad employers and slaves may have had cruel masters. But no good thing done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ passes him by. And he is not indifferent to it. He is the best of masters and you can actually please him. Isn't that wonderful? You can please him. And he loves to reward his faithful servants. Is that not a motivation, brethren? That we would go forth to obey in all things in this relation, looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that it changes everything. So we could go to that exhortation, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, including that work in this relationship. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, the resurrection has changed everything. Christ lives, Christ reigns, Christ sees, and Christ receives and rewards the faithful obedience of his people in all of these relationships, husbands and wives and children and parents and servants and masters. Therefore, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Let's stand for prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we ask that your blessing would be upon the proclamation of the word that we would be sanctified in this area. We do find pride that always wants to be in power, doesn't like to be under authority. Pride that manifests itself in thinking we know it all, that we know best, that will not listen. Lord, we pray that you would make us a holy people in this, that each person here in their lawful and gainful employment would stand out as a Christian that they would not contradict their Christian profession by sins against this commandment. Prosper them and reward their diligence. And if there is no diligence, Lord, we pray that you would give that its due reward until we learn the very basic lessons of life and even sin in this area. O oh Lord our God, again we ask that you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.